Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Eurotrip. It's James here and it's Rob. Hello. Hello. Back again. Our second regular episode between now and Eurovision 2023 in Liverpool. Indeed. Now, Rob, I've got this story to tell you before we get started with the podcast. Because... Right, 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 right. <laughs> James sent me a message last week, like not long after we recorded last week's episode. And he said, there's something I need to tell you. Let's remember to do it on next week's podcast. And that is this, I assume. Yes, it is. I hope, I hope it's worth the wait. Uh, so I was at work last week. So far, it's put a poor start to a story. It, it has. Trust me, it gets better. And a colleague came over to me, a relatively new colleague, but somebody I'd met a few times okay. before. Uh, and we were talking about work things. As you often do with colleagues at work, yeah. Indeed. And they were about to leave and they turned back and went, oh, I didn't realise that you're James from the Euro trip." <laughs> As if. And I was like, oh my goodness, this, I mean, very rarely happens. And And I said... Oh yeah, yeah, that's me. That that's me. I didn't really know what to say, and then said, "Yeah, do you listen?" <laughs> Be funny if they turned around and went, "Nope." Well, you jumped the gun a bit there, Rob, because they went, "No, actually, I just know about Rob, who presented a couple of episodes of the official podcast back in May." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes it even better. Oh, I feel bad now that I've ruined your punchline. Why did they ask if you were James from the Euro trip if they don't know? I- that you're... Yeah, what? I'm not not really sure, and I can't really remember how I reacted, but I'm pretty sure I swiftly got back to work. <laughs> I just like the idea of your face dropping and you going, cheers, yeah, thanks. <laughs> did, did he expect that me and you were always together and that I was like under the desk or something? I was going to say, he was probably a bit disappointed to not see you in the office either, so never mind, hopefully he gets to meet you at some point. Well, if you see him again... Uh, let him know. Uh, I can I can do him an autograph or something if you want. <laughs> <laughs> oh, should we get on with it? Should we get on with it? Should we do it? Let's do it. It's time for the Euro trip. As you know, Alessandro always said, take it away. For me, Eurovision is much more than just a job. It's part of me. Giannis, let me say, we were your first ever Eurovision interview way back in January. <laughs> I remember! I remember. 
So Gisli Baltarsson, Iceland's commentator, welcome to the Eurotrip. Thank you very much and thank you for the Eurotrip. I've been listening to you. Being face to face, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I was going to say, your beautiful face. <laughs> I was like, But it is cute. beautiful as well, though. We were talking on the phone. Yes. Do you want to have a hug? Yes, please. Yeah, that would be great. Cornelia Jacobs, congratulations. Thank you. Give me a hug. Hi there, my name is Martin Estadol. I am the executive supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest. You are listening to Eurotrip. Hello and welcome to the Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast with me, James. Me, Rob. And this week, we are rewinding all the way back to 1980. 1980, baby! <laughs> that was me channeling my inner you from last week. I like it, I like it, I like it. Yeah, the 1980 contest, as we will hear later on, a fascinating edition of the Eurovision Song Contest. And if you are new to the last couple of weeks here on the podcast, last week we kicked off our new feature called Rewind, and basically every single week between now and Christmas, we are looking back to an iconic edition of the Eurovision Song Contest. We're going to chat to people about it, me and James are going to have a chat about it, we're going to listen to some of the songs and just talk all things that specific edition, and we're going to have some fascinating stories to tell. And this is a really interesting one for me, and probably for most of you listening, perhaps, uh, that this was an edition of, a, of the Eurovision Song Contest that you maybe you've never seen before. So maybe it's going to be a bit of an educational along the way for you as well. And I should probably correct the record from last week. I said we did 1998 last week, and that was the first Eurovision that I was alive for. That was, in fact, a lie. It was, in fact, right. 1997. Right, there's the number of things to talk about there. The fact that you forgot that you were born. But anyway, we haven't got time for that, do we? There's a special <laughs> reason why we're doing 1980, by the way, which we will mention later on. And also on today's episode, we're going to be chatting all things Melody Grand Prix with Morten Thomason from OGAE Norway. Which is very apt, because you might remember on last week's podcast, we asked, who is Luna Ferrari? Who indeed is Luna Ferrari, I hear you ask. We might talk about that a little bit more in just a sec. You're listening on Acast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip. When you aren't listening, find us on social media at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. So before we get into things then, Rob, I think we should probably address Luna Ferrari. You said that really quickly and I feel like I really want to know what's going on. We did talk about Luna Ferrari last week and you've got, have you got some more chat? Have you got some more evidence? Well, a little bit more evidence, mainly just to back up our theory, as it were. Um, if you were listening to last week's episode, or even if you weren't listening to last week's episode, uh, we asked the question, is Luna Ferrari Alexandra from Kino? The reason, or Kano, how we say, Kano or Kano? There's another question for you today. <laughs> Don't start another one, Kano anyway, I think. Kano, right. Anyway, we asked whether Alexandra from Kano is indeed Luna Ferrari. Luna Ferrari is the artist featured on Subwoofer's new song, Howling. Subwoofer, of course, Norway's entry at the 2022 Eurovision Song Contest. Here is that song with Luna Ferrari, in inverted commas. I feel really bad if Luna Ferrari is indeed real, uh, for giving her the comments <laughs> there. But anyway, we are convinced, I say we, I'm grouping you into this now, that Luna Ferrari is in fact Alexandra from Kano. And I just wanted to add to the list of people who also believe that, uh, Adam from Twitter saw this this morning, at Mr. Adam R. Luna Ferrari is Alexandra Rotan, right? Question mark. 
And then Dean, who I know listens to this podcast, replied to that tweet saying, 100%, same record label, personal friends. I don't think we're sniffing up a blind alley. What? definitely not saying. <laughs> well, there you go. Or maybe, maybe all these people who have been tweeting about it just listened to your theory last week and thought, I want to jump on this. Nobody's tweeted it yet, and I want to be the first person to, to make this story go mainstream. And they're actually just jumping on your bandwagon. I'm pretty, I'm pretty convinced in what I want to be. <laughs> uh, anyway, do you want to do some tweets from last week? We, we mentioned before we we covered the 1998 edition of the Eurovision Song Contest as our first edition of Rewind. We had loads of fun, and hopefully, Rob, I've not been looking, but hopefully, some people have been in touch to say they enjoyed it as well. Imagine if this was me now saying, nope, nobody at all. They all hated it and we're doing it again. Uh, yes, no, we did have a few. So Andrew sent us a DM. I love having a DM. It just seems, I don't know, seems more exciting when you see that you've got a little message request on mm. Twitter. Although sometimes those message requests on Twitter do stay there for ages. So apologies if it takes us a while to get to you. Uh, Andrew DM'd us. He said, another excellent episode. Thank you. 1998 is Eurovision year zero for me. On the day of the dress rehearsal, we were given tickets to attend and decided it might be worth a trip to Birmingham. We were not fans in 1998, but attending changed all of this. From that show onward, we were hooked. Dana International wore the Gautier dress for the dress rehearsal, so I remember being confused watching the live broadcast as it was missing. Such a strong year and the end of an era in so many ways. A pivotal show. And Andrew's also sent us a lovely picture of him, I think, holding the programme, or what could be the programme, for Eurovision 2023. The programme design. I don't know if anyone else has seen that. I'm a little bit confused. Andrew, tell us more. <laughs> wow, that, that story went up and down and up and down and ended with a bit of uh, curiosity. Interesting. And we've got another one here from Richard. Now, you might remember we mentioned Richard, gave him a shout out on last week's episode. He was the man from the, as James put it, BFI, <laughs> who secured us a little chat with Rachel Ashdown from the BBC, Lead Commissioner for Eurovision 2023. Anyway, Richard emailed back and said, great episode as ever. Love the 1998 Rewind 2. It's one of my strongest early memories of the contest. Imani remains an icon, though I definitely watched at least as early as 96. My friend, who is the biggest Eurovision fan I know, used to have, by complete coincidence, Gina G as his landlord. <laughs> no way! That story didn't end how I thought it would end. Didn't it just? Right, so, Richard, as you are a listener if you're listening to this, which I hope you are, is there any chance we can get that friend on the podcast next week? Because I want to know what it's like having Gina G as a landlord, and I'm sure you do as well. Yes, I do. And that uh, is that a good call out for next week's episode as well, for, for your strange and curious encounters with Eurovision stars. Tweet us at Eurotrip Podcast or get in touch on Instagram. We are at Eurotrip Podcast. Uh, or if you've got a really long story about how you met Rasmussen in your attic, uh, then, <laughs> then you can email us as well. Hello at EurotripPodcast.com. So here we go then. It is time for the very latest news from the world of the Eurovision Song Contest. Sorry, I'm still distracted by the idea of Rasmussen in your attic. 
<laughs> Why would Rasmussen be in your attic? Is this Rasmussen off of, um, you know, stomping about for Denmark? Is that the one? Back in 2018, yeah, that's the one. He's, that's the first thing that came to mind when I thought about strange encounters. Well, what does that say about me? I really don't know. What does that say about you? What does it say about him? I feel like <laughs> I'd be offended if I was him. But then again, you've already spoken to him for the podcast, haven't you? So you haven't even got to go back and chat to him. Yeah. <laughs> feel free to go back in time and have a listen to that episode. But yeah, what a lovely reference that he was the artist that you first thought of. Anyway, as I said, time for the very latest news from the world of the Eurovision Song Contest. So the main headlines since we last spoke, I suppose, we have had the list of acts taking part in Benidorm Fest for 2023. Now, Spain, of course, coming so close to winning the Eurovision Song Contest last year or this year, still doing that annoying thing until after Christmas in 2022 with Chanel. Well, we have the artists now who are going to be competing in Benidorm Fest. Uh, some familiar faces, including Alfred Garcia, who, of course, was one half of Alfred and Amaya, who represented Spain at the Eurovision Song Contest previously in 2018. 2018, the same contest as Rasmussen represented Denmark. It was almost like it was planned, that. Are you going to say something or not? you want to say something? <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> what should I say? Tell me what to say and I'll say it. No, no, I'll just leave you hanging there. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Vidbeer, of course, in Ukraine. The fact that this is taking place in the first place is absolutely incredible. Uh, we now know the long list for who will be taking part in the final, or who indeed may take part in the final. We're going to find out the final list of acts taking part in Vidbeer on the 17th of November. The final in a bomb shelter in Kiev is taking place on the 17th of December. So Vidbeer earlier than we usually see it, but the fact that that event is taking place at all is absolutely incredible. Now, around a similar time, of course, maybe a week or so later, we will have Festival of Kengas in Albania. We've got the list of artists taking part in that. Again, some fairly familiar faces on the list who have taken part in that competition in the past. And also TVR, the official broadcaster of Eurovision in Romania, have approved Romania's budget for the contest. So we will see Romania at Eurovision in 2023. I did just cheer there, but I had my mic turned off. I went, woohoo! But you didn't hear it, so <laughs> there it is anyway. Big Romania stan is James. <laughs> uh, great to see that the, the Eurovision diary is filling up already. You mentioned some of the dates, and they're, they're getting sooner and sooner, uh, which is great news. And uh, some of the dates that are going to be on our diary very, very soon are the dates for Melody Grand Prix over in Norway, probably one of my favourite national finals that we get to watch when it comes to uh, the, the winter time early next year. Probably one of my favourite also, but also one of the most perplexing, I would say. Just given some of the rules and, and some of the voting, it just, you know, it's all a bit bonkers, but it's fun. What a perfect segue, Rob, because uh, we've heard over the last week or so that there may well be some changes to the format and to the, the number of shows we actually get in NRK's, in Norway's national final. So to chat a bit more about it, I've invited Morten Thomason, uh, who is the president of OGAE Norway, onto the podcast to chat all things Melody Grand Prix. And I start off by asking him to tell us a little bit about the changes we should expect. Uh, there's going to be three semi-finals this year and seven songs in each semi-final and we think that from each semi-final three songs is going to go to the final. What do you think about these changes that aren't yet official but probably will, will be happening? What, what do you make about these? Because 
it's not going to be a, a different number of songs. You've already mentioned we're going to have the same amount of songs uh, as previous years, but we're cutting down the number of shows. What do you think that tells us? It's quite difficult in any country to get 21 good songs, so why have more? And um, we also think most fans that the previous years we have had pre-qualified entries that went direct to the final this year everybody has to fight for their spot in the final and i think many fans think that is very fair way to do it instead of having some songs that are direct to the final it's interesting you mentioned that we we put out on our twitter earlier on uh, that we were going to be chatting to to you and and find out what fans wanted to know and that was one of the big things that people mentioned. It was that Melody Grand Prix over previous years, we've always had these songs that went direct to the final and it always seemed that they would be <laughs> the last two songs standing. So it, it sort of left the other shows sort of redundant. We didn't really need them in the end. It, it's quite an important change then if, if it looks like it's going to change for, for next year. Because uh, then everybody has to fight for the right to come to the final. And I mean, if you go on to win Eurovision, you have to beat all the competitor, competitors anyway. So you might as well start in the semi-final doing that. So for us, it's I think it's a, a good change. And in the last year, we had this duels, which I think for many normal viewers was quite sort of confusing. And But this semi-finals will look more like the normal Eurovision song. You have all the songs and then you have voting and then the tree top goes on. So I think the change of format will be more acceptable for normal viewers as well. You mentioned the songs, of course, and I think maybe what some people don't realise with Melody Grand Prix is that the NRK, the, the broadcaster in Norway, takes this very seriously when they're choosing the songs. I remember we spoke to Stig Carlson, the, the head of delegation in Norway, around about a year ago, and he was talking us through the, the songwriting camps and the processes that they go through just to select those songs. Just just tell us a little bit about that and the the efforts the broadcaster actually goes to to select these songs? Well, I've been lucky enough to be invited to one of those songwriting camps to hear the songs afterwards. And we had this little voting to find out which of those songs they had made the three last days were the best. And uh, last year I also went to this event and for the songs I heard in August already, Give That Wolf a Banana, August last year. So <laughs> I was one of the first to hear that song. So, so and it's an interesting and they, but the, the bad thing about these writing camps is that the, or the composers come in with that in mind instead of having that good music ID just from the blue. So it's pro and cons for these songwriting camps, but it's very important to gather different creative minds together and maybe come up with a good song. And we have also been lucky to be in these listening groups. So some weeks ago, I was at NRK listening to 55 potential Eurovision or MQP songs. So we are a part of the selection and he let fans and press and uh, professionals be a part of the selection for the Melody Grand Prix. And so NRK takes this very seriously and they want a lot of different people to be involved. And of course, the, the rumours start very early. We, we've, we've heard some rumours that there's some big Melody Grand Prix and some big former Eurovision artists in, in the mix for, for next year. Do you think there's going to be, or are you hoping there's going to be? There typically, there usually is, isn't there? Well, last Saturday we had our spring meeting in the Norwegian fan club and we had Ulrika as guest. And she told us that she is going back to 
Melody Grand Prix, and she's going to win, and she is going to Eurovision. So the minute she gets the right song, she's in. And she's been in the studio, in studio this last autumn, so maybe it's next year she's in. And also there are some strong rumors about Kano also wanting to go back, because both of them have something to revenge. Kano lost to Tix, and Ulrike never got to Rotterdam, so there are at least two former Eurovision MGP winners that wants to do it again, it seems. You're going to get a lot of people excited just by mentioning those two names, <laughs> I can assure you. Uh, Morton, uh, thank you again for, for coming and chatting to us here on the Eurotrip. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Like what you're hearing? Make sure to leave us a review and a rating whenever you're listening. Yeah, this is the Euro Trip. Thank you very much for tuning in. And James, thank you for chatting to Morton there because that was fascinating because it sounds like Ulrika definitely and maybe Kano back in MGP again. Well, yeah, they've got some unsettled, no, unfinished business. That's the one. I think both of them do, both of those artists. And we always get some big Norwegian artists come back every year to Melody Grand Prix. And uh, yeah, if either of those or both of those are going in, then yeah, sign me up. One of the best things about national final season is seeing which names are going to crop up again. Because there's always names, aren't there, in those national finals. We mentioned Festival of Kengas and Benidorm Fest, of course, relatively new uh, selection show. But there's always names that crop up time and time again. And we're in the midst of getting some Melody Festival and rumours as well. And obviously we do Melfest Monday here on the Euro trip. So we know we've got some Melfest fans listening. Uh, interesting to see uh, Teos. Looks like he might be back in Melfest for 2023, James, as well. It looks like it. And also, I, we're going off piste, but can I talk about SD Lal very quickly? Because I've just seen a tweet that suggests friend of the podcast, Cece, is going to be back in SD Lal next year. So maybe, maybe we'll get her on next week as well. Maybe. Who knows? I mean, we're offering you a lot of things next week. So far, we've, we've, so far we've, we've offered you for next week, uh, your man who had Gina G as his, um, <laughs> as his landlord, and maybe Cece from SD Lal. Maybe both or maybe neither of those things will happen. But you'll have to listen next week to find out.
honestly, I said before, the calendar and the diary for Eurovision is getting packed up, packed up, packed in. It's getting <laughs> busy. And packed it's getting, yeah, it's getting busy already. And uh, bad sounds of things. It's getting even busier than I thought it was going to be. I don't know where I was going with that. Let's roll with it anyway. Oh, I don't know. We've got some business to attend, uh, I think, Rob. We do, certainly do have some business to attend to. Yeah, definitely. Because one thing that we definitely know we'll be doing on next week's episode is another edition of Rewind. Now, Rewind is something new we're doing here on the Eurotrip where we are looking back at an iconic Eurovision Song Contest. Now, you might know about it already. You might not know very much about it at all. Last week, we went back to 1998, the last time that the UK had hosted the Eurovision Song Contest. And James, there is a very special reason why we are going back to this year on today's episode. Where are we going? Yeah, so this week we're going all the way back to 1980 for a very special reason, as Rob says. The last time uh, the previous year's winner didn't host the contest. Of course, we're going to get that again uh, next year in 2023. It's time to rewind. As we like to do on Rewind, let's start, shall we, with a look back at what was happening in the world ahead of the contest in 1980. Uh, So in the UK, Margaret Thatcher was entering her second year as Prime Minister, and the Detroit Spinners were at number one in the official charts. Yeah, what a song. Walking my way back to you, babe. That's the one. (laughs) Sounds just like that as well. Uh, a, yeah, so I wasn't expecting that at all, Rob. Uh, a, a, in just a couple of months' time as well, the eyes of the world would be on Moscow as the city hosted the Olympic Games. Uh, here's a clip from a BBC News report just a few weeks before the event. Some two billion viewers around the world will watch the display to outdo anything yet seen in the capitalist West. Now in the world of Eurovision, and that's why you're here, The Hague hosted the contest on the 19th of April 1980, doing so for the second time in just four years. Now here's the BBC's Terry Wogan during the live broadcast of the grand final, explaining to viewers on BBC One exactly why that was the case. Usually this contest is organised by the country which won the previous contest. But because Israel was the winner in two consecutive years, the Netherlands was granted the honour of organising this, the 25th Eurovision Song Contest. It's a doubtful honour, really, because it costs a fortune, this jamboree. And there's many a TV executive out there tonight hoping his country doesn't win. Terry Wogan there. Now, for today's Rewind, I've been speaking to the Eurovision historian and author Gordon Roxburgh. Now, he's written many, many books about the contest. He's appeared on many documentaries about Eurovision as well. So he's a man who knows a lot about the 1980 contest. And I started by asking him more about how Eurovision that year eventually ended up in the Netherlands. Well, obviously, Israel won in 1979, so they had the first option the station in 1980 contest, and they did for a while consider staging it in Cesara in, uh, on the Mediterranean coast, in an open-air amphitheatre. And they were going to put the date back till about May, and that met with no objections. Everybody seemed quite happy with that. But, uh, of course, inflation was running rampant at the time. I think Israel had seen something like 20% inflation rate. And by the middle of May... uh, 1979, they decided it wasn't possible they were going to back out of it. So then the EBU started touting around for any other potential hosts. And the usual thing was to start with who were the runners-up, Spain, 
keep working your way down and down. Past United Kingdom, BBC decided to turn it down. Eventually got to the Netherlands, and now they're starting to get a little bit desperate for potential hosts. And the Netherlands did agree that they would they would take it on on the condition that it could be a scaled back production. Um, so that's what happened. And then they came up with a proposed date of the well, the twenty sixth of April was muted as a possible date, but that wasn't possible for the Dutch. So then they put it to the nineteenth of April, and that clashed with Israel's National Memorial Day. And even though they said could we put it on the Sunday, the twentieth. Uh, that was objected to, actually, by the BBC of all, of all broadcasters. They wanted to you know their time with the Eurovision and match the day, the Saturday night lineup. So they objected. So it stayed at the 19th. And unfortunately, uh, Israel couldn't participate. Oh, the jeopardy of not knowing where it was going to be, when it was going to be. Imagine that now. Eurovision fans would be in a frenzy. Wouldn't they? Can you imagine Twitter in 1980? <laughs> but no, absolutely. There's a couple of things to talk about there. Uh, the fact that if Israel had hosted it, as they initially wanted to, of course, it was going to be in an open-air amphitheatre on the Mediterranean coast. Fascinating. Yeah, honestly. And and then they were going to change the date to a Sunday. It was going to be on a Sunday. Honestly, yeah. Honestly, it would have been Eurovision like we'd never seen it before. But... As eventually became the case, it wasn't. It was on a Saturday, and unfortunately, for the first time ever, the previous winners didn't take part. Now, Israel's decision not to take part did allow one country to make its one and only Eurovision appearance, as we will come on to later. Now, Monaco also chose to withdraw that year and then wouldn't reappear at the contest until 2004. Here's how the show started in 1980 on BBC One that evening. Good evening and welcome as the tide comes in on the Eurovision Song Contest 1980 and me with Ernie Wellington Boots. And this year's contest is being staged by Holland from here in the Hongreskibal at The Hague. And you'll never know how long it took me to learn that. Ah, here's last year's winner. And as is traditional, before the white heat of competition starts, we're going to hear a piece from the orchestra, accompanied by a film of some of Holland's more sensational sights. On this, the 25th, the silver anniversary of the Eurovision Song Contest. Now, the 1980 contest made history for a number of reasons. Uh, Firstly, we saw a black conductor at the contest for the first and only time as London-born Del Newman did the honours for Italy that year. And there were plenty of other names that would find their place in Eurovision history. Yeah, so Switzerland were represented in 1980 by Paola Del Medico, who had also represented her country previously in 1969. Uh, Katia Epstein appeared for Germany for the third time. Now, before appearing at the 1980 contest, Katia had finished third twice for Germany. So coming very close to winning. We'll chat about how she did in 1980 shortly. Uh, Maggie McNeil, she represented the Netherlands once again. The Netherlands, of course, the host nation, having done so previously as part of a duo when the contest was held six years earlier in Brighton. I think we all know who won that year in Brighton. 
I think we do. Uh, now, onto the songs, uh, which is probably why a lot of you are here. We'll start, shall we, with the country making its one and only appearance at the Eurovision Song Contest, Morocco. Now, at the time of the contest, Morocco had fairly frosty relations, I think that's putting it mildly, with Israel. So with Israel not competing, they felt able to do so themselves. They entered Samira Ben Said with her song, which translates into English as Love Card. Let's take a listen. Quite a nice little ditty, that one, isn't it? It is. It's nice, isn't it? It sounds very different to arguably everything else that you would go on to hear in that contest in 1980. Now, we'll take a look at the results later, but Morocco only scored seven points. Uh, they came second to last and then never appeared at Eurovision ever again, at least to date, anyway. Uh, they are the only African country ever to appear at the contest, although they almost weren't. Uh, Tunisia were in the grand final draw in 1977, uh, before withdrawing. Tunisia had a they had a like a running order position like they had a running order slot I was looking at this earlier uh, they were drawn to to sing song number four in the 1977 grand final maybe they thought oh not that fussed by that song four position don't really fancy it and then they never <laughs> came back again uh, also you mentioned Morocco only scored seven points uh, those seven points James came from one country wow so not an overly popular song that year No, unfortunately for them. And uh, yeah, as you said, we have not seen them at Eurovision since. On to the next song, and this time a country that we have seen at Eurovision several times since. It is the United Kingdom. Now, that year, the national jurors chose the group Prima Donna to represent the UK, although they nearly didn't, as Gordon Roxburgh explains. Indeed, you very nearly had uh, Maggie Moon with uh, Happy Everything, because the song for Europe ended in a dead heat. Uh, both Prima Donna and Maggie Moon had 131 points each. And even the, the third place song was only a further two points behind. That was Kim Clark. So it was one of the, the most thrilling songs for Europe contest has ever been. And uh, Terry Wogan, I don't think, had even prepared for it. And very quickly, come up, just around all the regions, pick, pick your favourite, or a show of hands. And that's what happened with all 14 juries. And it's interesting, one or two juries actually changed the the, the preference over, whereas they've given a higher mark, say, for Maggie Moon and the main part of the voting, suddenly changed to Prima Donna and vice versa. But most of the Jews stuck with their original preferred choice. And uh, even then, it was still close. It was only 8-6 in favour of Prima Donna. There could have been another tie. That would have been fine if we had seven jurors that said favoured one and seven for the other. Blimey, the, the professionalism of television back in 1980 on show just there. <laughs> I just enjoy that. Even, you know, many decades later, Terry Rogan was still just making it up as he went along, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but I just love that the hopes and dreams of uh, an artist representing the UK at Eurovision rested on people sticking their hands up. Can you imagine? Like, how unglamorous. <laughs> uh, now, we're still speaking about the UK, of course. Uh, now, each country in the contest in 1980 was actually introduced on stage by a presenter from their nation. It wasn't done by the main host of the of the contest that year. And doing the honours for the UK was the one and only Noel Edmonds. 
Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. So we come to song number 13 for the United Kingdom. And 13, if you're sort of a bit superstitious about things, could uh, be unlucky. Except The Hague is good news for the United Kingdom. It was four years ago that Brotherhood of Man came here and won the competition. This year we're represented by Prima Donna. And the whole story is one of success because we have our own national song contest and we had over 700 entries for that. In fact, things were so close that there was a tie. And from that, we got Love Enough for Two. It's a song by two people who are no strangers to the competition, Stuart Slater and Stephanie de Sykes. And they, in fact, wrote the UK entry a couple of years ago. The group, specially formed for the competition, comprised three ladies and three gentlemen. Two of them come from Liverpool and the rest come from London. Our musical director for Love Enough for Two is Mr John Coleman. Now, Noel there mentioned one of the songwriters for the UK entry that year, Stephanie de Sykes. Now, Stephanie also penned the UK's song in 1978, that year sung by Coco. Now, we've been speaking to her and we asked for her main memory of the contest in 1980. You'll hear that after a little bit of UK's entry from 1980. This is Prima Donna with Love Enough for Two. My first vivid memory, really, once we'd, we'd auditioned and, and chosen the kids, was um, traipsing them around the King's Road, looking for different coloured outfits for them to wear that would sort of mix and, and match and blend. Because I had this vision of of a, a group of people who looked like the kids next door. That's how I wanted it to be. And... Uh, it was really difficult. Had we had a budget, it would have been a very different story. But there wasn't one. If we'd had a budget, it would be a very different story. I feel like I've heard that plenty of times when it comes to the Eurovision Song Contest. The age-old comment about Eurovision, if the budget had been different. Yeah, quite. Um, if you haven't seen uh, Prima Donna's outfit for the contest, I urge you to go on YouTube because it's, uh, yeah... It's it's interesting. It, it looks a little bit like they've looked through the sort of um, lost property box and all happened to have ended up wearing something similar. Like I can see what <laughs> Stephanie was going for. It was very 80s, just put it that way. Yeah, let's hear a little bit more from Stephanie uh, and her memories of the event. Oh, it was joyous. It, it was completely joyous. Um, it, it was wonderful because um, Wogan was wonderful anyway, but Johnny Logan had a great song, and um, he, he, all his crew, I remember, who were great fun and, and loved to drink, um, they were all wearing T-shirts, on the back of which was emblazoned, in other words, um, oh, you might have to bleep this out, I'm going to win this fucking contest, <laughs> which we thought, it was quite daring, actually, back then. <laughs> daring, that's certainly one word for it, isn't it? <laughs> very, very, very confident. Now... <laughs> On to arguably the evening's most memorable song and artist. As Stephanie mentioned there, the man that would, spoilers, go on to win the Eurovision Song Contest in 1980. It's Johnny Logan and Ireland with his song, What's Another Year, written by the legendary Shay Healy. Now, according to Gordon Roxburgh, it does sound here like Ireland were doing everything possible to win. 
I think it was Sally Ann Triplett told me that sort of like the night before the British and Irish delegation had got together, you know, before you were having some drinks as you do. And so the Irish kept getting the drinks in, but they sort of got Johnny Logan out the scene and back to his hotel room to prepare. And I think they were trying to get the, the British singers drunk and maybe a little bit hoarse in, in the voice. And I think Sally and said so the next day, one of the, I think it was one of the Robinsons, probably Kate, since she's a bit of a comedian, you know, sort of come into the hotel bedroom going, I, I, can, I can hardly speak. <laughs> and she was worried that, you know, there's going to be singers without a voice for, for Prima Donna, but it's just a practical joke they played. But they said they did notice the Irish sort of got Johnny Logan away from the drinks, you know, sort of like save him for the big night. It's like underhand tactics at the Eurovision Song Contest, eh? I mean, it worked, didn't it? Spoilers. I've said it already, <laughs> but it clearly worked. But I loved that story from Gordon. And I think it was very unsurprising that that's how, you know, countries and artists used to warm up for Eurovision. He's going to the bar and have a few drinks the night before. Does that, does that happen now? I don't, I don't know. Honestly, if it does, we need to, we need to hear about it. Uh, but before we hear the climax of the show and the, the voting, we've still got time for another one of the evening's most memorable entries. This time, it's from Belgium. Eurovision. Eurovision. You all know it, don't you? This song was the first entry ever. This is Telex, by the way. The first entry ever to mention the contest by name. It's gone on to be remembered many decades later. And on the night, though, it only finished 17th out of 19. Uh, it finished just ahead of Morocco. Honestly, that's that's probably where they came up with the phrase, it was robbed, because uh, I think most would agree that was a very unfair, very unjust result. Now, on to the voting. Let's find out how it all went. Uh, in the end, it came down to Germany and Ireland. Katja Epstein for Germany came so close to winning the contest at her third attempt, but ultimately, as we know, it wasn't to be. Italy, 10 points. And Ireland, 12 points. That's really it now. That means that uh, Ireland has done it. As you can see, there's Johnny Logan kissing Katja Epstein because Germany were in second place to one with 128 marks, Ireland with 143, and the United Kingdom with 106 in third place. A very good performance from Prima Donna, love enough for two. Seemed like quite understated from Wogan there. As an Irishman himself, don't you think? He seemed fairly sort of underwhelmed that Ireland had won the, the contest for the second time. Yeah, he seemed very chill, very laid back, almost as if he sort of wrote the script and it wasn't a surprise to him. Yeah, it did seem that way, didn't it? But I guess, you know, at that time in Eurovision, you know, he mentioned, oh, prima donna, they've come third for the United Kingdom. That's just what happened every year, wasn't it? Kind of. <laughs> I mean, we go on to win it the following year, but it's just sort of, that's how it was. Yeah, exactly. So uh, to, to go through the, the scoreboard again, Ireland won the contest on 143 points, 15 ahead of Germany with the UK in third place. Uh, as Rob says, the following year, the UK would win the contest with Buck's Fizz and then Johnny Logan would eventually return in 1987 to win it all again. And then he'd return again as a songwriter with Linda Martin and he'd win it all again. 
<laughs> he's kind of overdue a victory, isn't he? <laughs> Honestly, yeah, he really is. Yeah, he really, really is. Maybe that's what RTE need to do for 2023. Get Johnny Logan back on the stage in Liverpool. <laughs> Oh, well, to wrap up this week's Rewind, let's hear from Connor Devlin. Now, Connor is one half of the Aerovision podcast, podcast who focuses on all things Ireland and Eurovision. And here's his thoughts on Johnny's first and Ireland's second victory in the contest. I think that win for him, What's Another Year, it's a lovely song, but, you know, I think Shay Healy, who, of course, wrote the song, he's the more kind of respected one out of himself and Johnny because it was his song. Whereas I think Johnny Logan is more remembered for Hold Me Now because it's his own song. He embraced it. It was a second win. He seemed a lot more confident on the stage as a performer with that. So when you think of Johnny Logan, I think a lot of people go to his 1987 win with Hold Me Now. Um, as opposed to what's another year, but it was our second win. I think people were loving the fact that it was coming back to Dublin, the the or the, coming back to Ireland. But you know the thoughts of Ireland hosting again. Here we go again, and yeah, I I think people were were excited for the thought of Eurovision coming back to the Irish Irish shores. So to finish off rewind this week, let's hear that year's winner, Johnny Logan, with what's another year. I've been crying such a long time with such a long. to an end this week's Rewind. You're listening to The Eurotrip, your favourite Eurovision podcast. When you aren't listening, find us on social media at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. I was a big fan of Eurovision 1980. I know we only went through a few bits and bobs from the contest that year, but I feel like I need to go and sit down and properly watch it from from beginning to end. Uh, Because, Rob, you led on all of the research for that. I sort of just came along for the ride. So I don't know as much as you did. Um, But uh, yeah, I feel like I need to go and watch that from beginning to end. Well, if you do go back and watch it, one thing that you will find is that actually you could have just watched the opening from the 1976 contest, because as a way of saving money on hosting it again, the Dutch broadcaster just used the same opening film in 1976 <laughs> and in 1980. That's something that Gordon told me a little bit earlier on, which I think is brilliant. Uh, and also they used a lot of the same stage props. So if you look at the stage from 1976 and the stage from 1980, very, very similar. That is very savvy. Very, very savvy. Now, we've got one more thing to do before we finish the episode. We do it every week, of course. It's the one second song each week. Rob and I take in turns to play each other and you, of course, the very first second of a Eurovision song. And all you've got to do is guess the title, the artist, the year it competed and the country it was representing. Uh, It's my turn this week, Rob, to choose a song and play it for you and you listening. So shall we do it? Let's do it. You are one up, aren't you? So it's time for me to hopefully get a point on the board. Here it is then. This week's one second song. Ha ha ha. Now, I know this. I know this. I'm getting four points, I think. Oh, wow. You sound as confident as Johnny Logan was in 1980. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to get my I'm effing winning this t-shirt out of the cupboard. (laughs) Uh, We'll hear it again. But I think, I think, I think I'm going to get it. Come on then, if you're so confident. 
Let's have it. What do you think it is? Let's let's do it. Um, yeah, not messing around. Here we go. This is going to be a strong start to my one second song scoring for the 2023 season. I think this is Ukraine 2018. Under the Ladder is the name of the song. And I think he's called Me Lovin'. Uh, you wouldn't have pronounced his name like that, but I'm willing to give you four <laughs> points, my friend. <laughs> yeah, you might have noticed. Well, you won't have noticed listening, but uh, James, you may have uh, on the recording. I, I closed my eyes as I said, <laughs> me loving. And I was like, it's not that, is it? Uh, very impressive. Indeed. Yes. Four points. Let's have a listen. Help me to unravel Tongue off my innocence inside Fade but to be solved Excellent stuff. Very, very pleased with that. How would you pronounce his name out of interest? I would have just said Melovin. Yeah, Melovin would make more sense, given he is Ukrainian. So, yeah, that would make more sense. However, very generous of you to give me the points anyway. And a solid lead early on. Four points to one. Full house. Indeed, yeah. Write that on the scoreboard or the spreadsheet or however we're going to... We're going to have to have something to update the points on because... Some would say we could just update last year's spreadsheet, but, you know, other people would say different. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, 4-1. I'm going to have a chance next week to, to claw some points back how are you doing as well hopefully you've got some points on the board uh, you can let us know at Eurotrip podcast on twitter and instagram or hello at utrippodcast.com on the email for, for your one second song scores and for anything else we love to hear from you so please don't hesitate to get in touch but that does rob bring us to the end of this week's episode i feel like it's been a little bit chaotic i feel like we've tried to cram loads in and hopefully we haven't taken too much of your time up this week well, if you think this week was crammed, I mean, next week, what have we promised? We've promised CC from SD Lowell, and we've promised your man who had Gina G as a landlord, as well as another rewind. So we've got plenty to fit in. And also, uh, if you're lucky, you may get... I don't want to give oh, false yeah. promises, but we possibly may well be bringing you a bonus episode of some sort. I, I know, oh. we're, we're really into the 2022 what season. What like? But potentially, I'm teasing, but a, a bonus episode may be on its way. But if not, we'll be back i promise you on wednesday next week with a brand new episode of the euro trip so in the meantime don't forget to subscribe leave us a review and rate us five stars from me james it's goodbye and from me rob it's goodbye aha you need a do you need a new muff i need a muff yeah mike muff nice 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.